right hey. on. Welcome to Radicalized, where truth survives and we got your back. I'm Heidi Kuda. I'm here with Jim Stewartson, High sure. Fidelity, Sean Connor, public enemies number ones in the fight for reality. I'm <laughs> operating from the deep trenches of my bed because we're having technical difficulties. So we're just going to push on. Uh, we may be a little lo-fi, but we bring some serious uh, news your way every week. And we're really happy to be together uh, enjoying this uh fucking horrible pandemic holiday surge on that note uh anybody want to uh share any personal stories i think we have a few i'm actually uh i'm really really hot at uh republican governors who don't have mask mandates and uh force kids back into school like governor mike dewine of ohio uh, my child contact, he contracted COVID and, uh, now we're going to be, uh, we're going to be apart for Christmas Eve and Christmas because we have to quarantine now. And, uh, I'm really, really like, so not in a festive mood. I, I, yeah. So fuck you, Mike DeWine, Ohio governor and every other Republican governor who were neglectful in their duty uh, allowed disinformation, misinformation, bull to take over. And uh, yeah, people not getting vaccinated, people not wearing masks. How my yeah. kids got it. Right, right. My daughter's <laughs> campus had a surge as well, and she has to get tested every other day. And you know, fingers crossed she's coming home in two days. But um, yeah, we're not happy with these governors who are anti-science following in the, leader, uh, in the lead of a report we're gonna talk about in a little bit on Trump. Jim, any, uh, any news in your life? No, just that governors like Ron DeSantis and, um, you know, Abbott in, in Texas are, are mass murderers um political mass murderers and right. honestly you know they should be in prison for the rest of their lives for costing tens of thousands of human beings their lives um for politics because well 800,000 no, dead and know, you know the know, reports know, at 139,000 there's many people to blame and it's all incredibly cynical and it's incredible that we're not screaming with our pitchforks um, to get these motherfuckers out. Yeah. Uh, Sean, anything happening from your family? Um, well, um, aside from my, you know, nine-year-old daughter who comes home every day, takes a shower immediately after everybody gets to school and uh, developing, I would say, unhealthy, verging on habit of, of washing, cleaning every time, you know, if a, a friend gets too close to her, or touches her, yeah. you know, um, she is developing a bit of a compulsive behavior. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's so much that we don't talk about. And I did a whole thread a few months back on how women leaders throughout the world tackled COVID 
and the empathy they brought to it and the momness they brought to it and how they basically crushed COVID. And we're here dealing with the ravages of fucking four horrible years of a con man and uh and look what's happened and now we all knew but now we have this report so i look forward to hearing from you guys on that um but we do wish everybody a safe holiday season and from the bottom of our hearts we're sorry about all the plans that were canceled and uh i'm i'm sure your little boy is going to be okay but i'm really um grateful that he's safe and you know, able to quarantine with his family and that, you know, you'll be able to see each other after the holidays. It's it's not what we had hoped uh, for this season, but, uh, but we have some serious news and we have a hell of a guest. So let's get right on uh, into the mix here. What is our word of the week, AKA phrase of the week, Hi-Fi? Phrase of the week is gonna be surveillance capitalism. And what is surveillance capitalism? Let's talk about that. Surveillance capitalism is the monetization of data. Your data, Heidi, Jim's data, Sean's data, my data. All of our data that is captured through the monitoring, so actively watching you, the monitoring of your behaviors and your movements through both the online, you know, through the digital realm and in real life. And, you know, this, this can be anything from they're tracking your phone, apps on your phone are tracking you. Uh, you know, there are, uh, there's an app that's about meditation and focusing that captures mental health data on you, uh, letting the owners of that app know when you're in a crisis. Uh, surveillance capitalism has kind of got us to where we are because if they have your data, they can sell your data, make money from it, and that data can then be used for nefarious purposes by, well, companies like Palantir. Yes, and this is where Jim probably <laughs> mentions Palantir because I don't think you can have this conversation without mentioning Palantir. Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> Peter Thiel started Palantir, which is... Um, believe it or not, more or less just an extension of uh, Rudy Giuliani's and the Manhattan Institute's broken windows policy um, from the 80s and 90s. Um, it, it, is it is there um, to both create um, um, suffering and violence uh, as well as, as to propose the solution to it, which is to monitor everybody. Um, it's literally designed to be pre-crime software, and it's used by places like um, the LAPD, the New York, the NYPD, to literally target people before they've done anything. L literally, like I've got William Bratton on video saying it. It's not. Uh, it's not science fiction. It's real. And so this surveillance capital capitalism shit is, you know, is one of the most dangerous and important subjects, um, especially because Palantir is not just in our police departments, it's deep in our defense department, every single three letter agency you can imagine. And if you recall, Peter Thiel is also on the fucking board of Facebook. So yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. And not just in the US, right, Jim? I mean, it's in the, it runs, it's the platform that runs the British, um, 
healthcare system, I believe. They also well, they're trying. They're trying to get into the NHS, and they they are in the NHS some, but they're trying to get more and more data out of the NHS, yeah. which is, I think, it's a terrible, absolutely terrible idea. I think. I mean, all- mental health, mental health data. You know, as our our friend Brent Alpress talks about exactly. a lot, is incredibly powerful and easy to weaponize by disinformation actors. It's, That's it's right. Very and we are going to be to have that that data in these people's hands. Sorry. I, I, no, I'm just super excited that we kicked it off with this because we're going to be basically be having uh, Imran Ahmed come on, which we talked a little bit about him last week when we had Kat and Charles talking about disinformed because he was featured in that. And he does so much work to combat digital hate. And he has a perspective from the UK as well as America. And we'll see what data privacy is looking like from uh, both of those uh, beleaguered democracies. Um, so that was, uh, that was just a hell of a way to kick us off. So we may as well just dive right in now to our Why It Matters with Hi-Fi. Why high fidelity? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, uh, yeah, Elon's evil. So Elon Musk has joined the ranks of Trump, Stalin, Mussolini, and become Time's Person of the Year. Uh, Good for him, I guess. Except here's kind of some of my problems. Uh, You know, he there's this whole apartheid emerald mine thing in South Africa. Uh, There is, um, you know, in in Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's trial, it came out, you know, the concierge testified that Amber Heard had bruises after Elon spent the night. So that kind of makes me think he might be hitting women. I don't know. And uh, yeah, he's manipulating crypto markets uh, apparently through tweets i just i don't understand how elon can be the person of the year well he went all he went all in with his uh you know nazi youth haircut too which is a little bit um disturbing it's a bit curly though it's a little strange well he's he's a fancy nazi fancy hashtag fancy nazi Hashtag, hashtag fancy Nazi. Yeah, you know, I think here's the important thing to remember. Uh, He has a quarter of a trillion dollars. He has $230 billion. And he could make the difference in global health, global hunger, all all sorts of ways and instead he's trolling elizabeth warren because you well, want hold on she wants him to pay his fucking taxes yeah. he pays nothing i pay more than in fucking taxes than elon musk does and that's bullshit also elon musk is an anarcho-capitalist who is deliberately trying to destroy our our economic system with his um crypto bullshit with his buddy peter teal and he's out there doing bitcoin every fucking day and taking and and getting a whole bunch of kids who have their entire 
you know, fake money savings in there are going to get hurt. I, I just, you brought up Elizabeth Warren and uh, I'm very sensitive to, and we had a whole show on this on how misogyny is weaponized to really um, undermine the progress of women. And when he called Elizabeth Warren an angry mom, you know, an angry, you know, Karen, those are things that Trump had normalized since, you know, predating 2016, and they're not acceptable. And if there were a woman, a woman executive at time, I don't see why uh, she wouldn't just throw it, you know, throw all in and just rescind it. Like, why give man of the year to a troll when we're dealing with a global pandemic and democracies are under siege globally? You know, if you want to keep him with the ranks of Mussolini and Hitler, go for it. But it ain't cool. It's not cool. Well, not, not only not only is he weaponizing misogyny, but he's, he's such a slimy, savvy bastard. Uh, the next day after he called her an angry, caring, you know, whatever, uh, the the disrespectful things he said he goes on cnn and he says well society you know respect in society is dying yeah because you're killing it elon yeah i mean look i think i think i think i I don't i'm not actually that mad at him being person of the year i'm mad at the the spin that he's a that he's a good guy right like that's That's the problem. Like, like Hitler being man of the year in 1938 was the fucking right choice because the next year he went and blew the fucking world up, right? And I, I think Elon's trying to do the same thing, honestly. I just think time is completely missing the fucking plot. That's all. Yeah. I don't I don't appreciate the fact that he has pulled a Trump and has his adoring troll army on Twitter as well. You know, uh-huh. I've been monitoring yeah. it for uh, some time now, and anytime he tweets anything, the adulation comes, and it yep. is also tinny and phony. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we thought he was kind of cool, maybe a decade ago, and now we look back and we realize that a lot of Silicon Valley has been a ruse and some weird pyramid scheme, and those tech bros are not democracy's friends. And I don't know what's in the water in South Africa, but there's some weird shit and it's impacting our world and our country and our democracy. And I think closer scrutiny would be advisable. And, you know, I'm glad you feel the way you feel, Jim, about him being man of the year. I, I'm thinking, or person of the year, I'm thinking yep. that there was probably a few other choices who might have been really positive for the world and uh, not so divisive. But here we are, you know, you I always don't, have don't to see who, who owns yeah. what, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's just move right along, man. Let's just. Ugh. All right. Fuck Elon. Let's go. All right. Uh, so the next <laughs> one we're going to talk about is cyber shenanigans. And the reason I want to talk about cyber shenanigans is a couple of big things happened this week. Um, the number one thing I want to talk about is an article, uh, Operation Whistlepig, in which it came out that the Customs and Border Patrol, CBP, uh, was using. <laughs> was using governmental databases to target a specific journalist and has possibly done this to multiple journalists. Uh, Questionable legality, but they're running these people through their databases to find vulnerabilities to turn them into informants for the government. Uh, This is a pattern of behavior. I think you'll find, uh, especially if you look at something like EXE Intel and the Whitmer kidnapping. 
Uh, the other cyber shenanigans we got to talk about are, you know, NSO Group and uh, Black Box and a bunch of different uh, private intel, private security companies were just kicked off of Facebook. Uh, and Facebook notified 50,000 users that they had specifically been targeted by these private intel companies. What does that mean? That means they're going through your tweets. They're gathering information on you. They may be sending people to influence you and twist your worldview. Um, yeah, this is some not good stuff going on. So, yeah, those are, very, those are your cyber shenanigans. Well, well, well uh, Axie Intel is <laughs> was run by a current FBI agent, which fuck Jason that Chambers. shit. What? Yeah, like why? Yeah. What? Like why is a dude getting six million dollars uh, for his company when he's getting paid by the government to do the same shit he's supposed to be doing with his private company? That's fucking weird and wrong, and it should not be allowed at all. Well, they, they create problems that they then provide the solutions for for a fee. I mean, Palantir does the same thing, my, right? But yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. it's the it's, exact it's all, same thing. It's uh, I mean, Teal and all these guys, they have, he's literally set his companies up to profit from suffering and death. And so he goes out and creates it. It's that simple. Yep. Well, Very I much. do want to say the, the, the private life is dead and we need to, uh, we need to bring it back. We've, we've just, uh, we've given away too much. Um, let's get, let's get through. Uh, Trump's political manslaughter and get on to hellscape so we don't keep our guests waiting too long. Trump's political manslaughter. Uh, so yeah, it, a new report came out that Trump specifically uh, stopped the COVID response because he was A, using it to punish blue states. B, he was politicizing the event to rile up his followers. And the reason this is so important is because it Proves a couple different things. Um, who's that attorney guy we like all the time? Uh, bald head goatee. What's his name? I can't Kirshner. think of it. Kirshner. Yeah, Kirshner pointed out there's, there's three things to proving manslaughter. The first is that the actions are grossly uh, negligent. The second was that the grossly negligent conduct was reasonably likely to result in the death of the other. We know... We know from his interviews with Woodward that he said five different times, COVID is deadly. COVID is bad stuff. And then he goes out and he says, oh, yeah, we consider it to be like the flu. All right. So he's grossly negligent, negligent actions likely to lead to the death of another. And um, his grossly negligent conduct specifically caused the death. Of another, and we know that for a fact because in this report that came out, it said that 139,000 American lives could have been saved if we had acted faster, correctly, done and, anything and, and, other than what he did. There was also, if you read the report, there was a lot of indication on the grift aspect of you know, not only downplaying for political yeah. purposes, but then everybody affiliated with him grifting off of it. So is this not enough? Is this not enough for swift action, swift justice? What say you, Jim? If, if you recall, he Trump not, not only 
didn't act. He had like Mike Lindell, the pillow guy, on in the fucking White House selling quack, like organic. I can't even. Remember, I can't remember what the hell it was. Iris oil or something like I, that. Some, some oil. Some oil. Some kind yeah. of lavender. I don't fucking remember what it was. Like some kind of completely quack nonsense. Like got a had the pillow guy up there giving out bullshit so he could grift off of it from the White House podium. Like yeah. that yeah. is literal murder. Like yeah. imagine the number of people who listened to that, right? And yeah. believed it. Why the fuck would well, killing people it? for it's money? It's from the White House for God's sake, right? Like it's in They're that, killing you know, people for money. Murder. Indeed. Yeah. Yep. There's a reason um, Chomsky put him uh, below Hitler in the history's worst person. Wow. Wow. Well, I don't think we've seen the worst of him yet, too. So I'm not taking my eyes off of uh, the activities of those in Trumplandia. Um, and I'm so grateful we have this show to discuss this together because, um, you know, we still have a major faction of our population who thinks that we're the enemies. Those delivering truth and reality are the enemies. And we're going to talk more about that with our guest. Um, I, right I, on high I, five. I, I want to point out one final thing. In Brazil, Herr Bolsonaro, or however his name is pronounced, Bolsonaro, his country is referring him to the Hague over war crimes, crimes against humanity for his response, which was basically identical to Donald Trump. Right on. Just going to throw that out there for no no reason. Yeah. That's what it that's that's what this requires. This requires Nuremberg shit, man. This is fucking like it's it. This is, I mean, hundreds yeah. of thousands of dead people, yeah, without question, regardless of of how you want to spin it. Like right. hundreds of thousands of dead people on purpose right. for political reasons is a crime against humanity on par with, you know, the worst we've seen. That's right. And, and because of their strategic verbal jujitsu and always reframing the narrative, we will, in our digital descent, actually be able to address how they use the reality of Nuremberg against reality. So it's, uh, you know, the mind fuck never stops. But I will say that um, I've always thought it was going to end. If it didn't end with truth and reconciliation, it was going to end, uh, you know, in The Hague, exactly as you just said it. And the three people, the three leaders during COVID who had the worst response were Putin, Trump, and, Bols and, and uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil. So, you know, those Shockingly, three together. Fascists, amazingly, fascists don't give a shit about human life. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, that's, that's what it is, right? They saw that they could get more political power by putting, by putting people to death. Like, Interestingly. What's very interesting for our country, though, is if Trump had demanded a mask mandate, we might be still living under the tyranny of Trump and not have uh, a decent uh, bloke like Joe Biden leading our country. So, so he kind of threw the pooch on that one. All right. And he tried to take credit for it anyway. <laughs> Thank you. My, I mean, one of my favorite things, honestly, is the, the cult is really angry with Trump because he's taking credit for the vaccines all the time. 
Yeah, the guy who got oh, yeah. his vaccine yeah, in January. I have to get my dark humor somewhere. Man. Okay, well, thank you very much, Hi-Fi, for why it matters. And now we are going to breeze through the hellscape because you got some good stuff queued up. And, uh, and then we are going to welcome Imran. I cannot wait. So let's get into the hellscape. Jim Stewartson's hellscape. Oh, fuck. Oh, oh fuck. fuck. <laughs> All right. That's the rare but beautiful Jim Stewartson smile oh, right there. Oh, He's doing his That's robot voice. Make him stop. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's give props to uh, the Gorgon fighter of the week, or actually of the, you know, resistance. Indeed. Yeah. So um, Sarah Kenzior uh, is, is, in my opinion, the most prescient um scholar on american fascism that there is i've read all her work um hiding in plain sight is astonishing it it not not it explains everything and predicts everything um also has the epilogue is the most patriotic and heartbreaking thing i've ever read in my entire life where she goes around the country with um you know her son to to remember America as it was yeah. knowing that it was not going to stay the same. Yeah. Right. Heartbreaking. Should be required. Um, reading. Real. Should be required. It, it reading should. Every class. And, and I get a lot of shit for, from, you know, certain folks for, for, you know, being a doom Lord and for, you know, for calling out people like Merrick Garland for not doing jack shit to save our democracy. Yeah. Um, sorry. It takes it, it takes voices like like Sarah's to to call people like Merrick Garland out um, and and understand what's happening and do something about it. So I, I have a, a clip from a recent appearance that got me all jazzed up. Got fired up. Just take us through just a little bit of your timeline as to what Merrick Garland has failed to do so far, especially in the face of this newfound evidence. Well, Merrick Garland should have been prepared because I want to take the timeline a little further back, which is that this plan had actually been in the works for the 2016 election. That is when Roger Stone coined the phrase, stop the steal. That is when Roger Stone promised a bloodbath if Trump were not installed uh, as president. And they made these threats consistently for the four years that he was in office. And so there is plenty of evidence in the public domain, generally speaking, about their tactics. There's also plenty of evidence throughout 2020 about specific actions they are going to take. Michael Flynn was calling for uh, a coup. Lynn Wood was recruiting insurrectionists off the internet. This was all happening in, in plain sight. The day before uh, January 6th, Steve Bannon announced the coup on his podcast. Like This is extremely easy to find out. And that is why when the House uh, impeached Trump in February, they were able to rely uh, exclusively on public domain evidence and did not call witnesses. Perhaps they should have. They could have gotten Mark Meadows' wonderful PowerPoint back then. But yes, uh, Merrick Garland, an experienced professional, could have gone uh, right into this, you know, uh, aggressively making sure that our country is not attacked again in this fashion. Instead, he has done basically nothing but allow Trump and his crime cult to run out the clock, which has been the tactic that Trump has used with his goon squad of lawyers for the last 40 years. So none of this should have come as a surprise to anybody. 
She doesn't buy yeah. words. Wow. Wow. She's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, uninterrupted, completely like structured, coherent, absolutely yeah. nailed everything like yeah. in a short period of time. Boom, boom, boom. Bam, oh, bam, bam. I'm so glad. And Bef and before and I knew so so I spend a, a you know I I'm a, I'm a shameless stan uh, because you know we need voices like that to tell the truth about what's happening and what the consequences are. Likewise, yeah. Before I knew about QAnon or anything, um, I started listening to Gaslit Nation, and I was just so struck and amazed and inspired by those two women. Um, yeah, not only strong women voices, but also yeah. the, the depth of their knowledge personal experience um you know um alexandra yeah. chalupa um and her history and past obviously as well as sarah's was just second to none and still the reporting is second to none and it's just remarkable and they've been in inspiring and a sort of beacon guiding light through through all this yes yep. more called fierce it women please they called it gaslit nation five years ago gaslighting is yep. is you know is a is, is a shorter term for brainwashing, right? Mm -hmm. That's absolutely, you know, the core of it. And mm -hmm. anyway, uh, there's my uh, the, the Sarah Kenziard stand uh, section of the. I'm glad. Study. I'm glad we took the time to do that. It's important. Yeah, it, it's yeah. We need more voices like that in my. That's opinion. right. Um, uh, we have a little note here on Flynn playing make believe. What's that about? uh well it's a little more than make-believe so flynn is has been um trying to destroy the bedrock concept of the united states constitution of the separation of church and state um there um you know congress shall make no law governing religion is the establishment clause of the Bill of Rights. It's in the first clause. Um, that actually means freedom from religion. It's just, it, freedom of religion comes later. Freedom from religion is the whole point. It's to separate those kinds of influences from the running of our government. And Mike Flynn is doing his very best to make up stories about how the Bible and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are really the same thing. He kind of like pretends like the the Ten Commandments and the ten, and the Bill of Rights with Ten Amendments is somehow like the same when they're unrelated. They, they have right. two. They have ten items. That's literally the only connection between them. And, I got um, ten so, items on my grocery list. So, so he's <laughs> proselytizing for the CNP. So he's basically doing the work for the Council for National Policy because that's their wet dream, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it right is is a theocracy, right? Like yeah. is to to just like to have religion be the government, right? That's that is the idea because it moves them moves everybody towards the end times, right? It's it's all yeah. doomsday cult shit anyway there's a there's a a clip um uh i think of mike flynn doing this um, yeah there's a there is a doctrine called doctrine of the lesser magistrate so this doctrine of the lesser magistrate it really goes back to the magna carta it, it was imbued inside of our own constitution 
And when we talk about the Bill of Rights and the Ten Commandments, those are the promises that we make to each other, particularly as Americans, as freedom-loving and faith-based and fearless Americans. The Bible and the, and the, uh, or the, uh, the Ten Commandments and the Bill of Rights, those are the promises. The fulfillment of those promises, Matt, come from the Constitution and come from the Bible. The Bible is the, is the genesis, if you will, of the, uh, of the Constitution. What? No, it's not. What? Couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. So, but, 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 wow. but that, that is a, that is in, you know, in a very small nutshell, a whole bunch of different things, right? It's, it's the idea of syncretism, which is to, to appropriate other people's um, ideologies and bring it into your own with the idea of weaponizing it, right? And Christianity in general is being weaponized in in uh, all over the world, but but in America especially, um, a lot of and I'm sorry to say this, a lot of Christian churches have turned into basically QAnon cults. Li- like and Mike Flynn isn't and even a, a Christian, of, and he is not a Christian. Satan Gate is Satan Gate for a reason because <laughs> he's totally not a yeah. Christian. And Sean was old. Sean was all really on his game, like Satan Gate would come up. But anyway. anything to bring oh. up Satan Gate again. Uh, so yes. we are only two yeah. minutes uh, late for our guests, but I don't want to cut the very last item because I think it's important. You did yeah. a beautiful thread about how the trauma we're experiencing is real. We talked a little bit about just some of the personal issues we're dealing with, uh, just pandemic-wise, but. You know, people locked at home with their computers have been targeted. Their family members are turning into not themselves, and their trauma is real too. Can you just say a couple kind words on that before we move on to Imran, please? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the message was basically to everybody who has lost somebody to this cult um, that you're. The trauma you're experiencing is real. Tens of millions of other people are experiencing it. Um, Sometimes it's just important to hear that, right? Um, And it's also the other part of it is it's not your fault. And and in almost every case, it's not theirs. They they were they were trapped, indoctrinated, radicalized, and altered. Um, by a deliberate program of brainwashing and um, you're not responsible and neither are they. If they commit crimes or hurt other people, they are responsible. That is where I personally draw the line. I don't think there's any excuse for hurting someone else. If you're that kind of person who would do that, then then you should be punished regardless. But in terms of of shaming and and punishing and and you know rejecting our loved ones who've been taken in by this shit um we need to stop seeing them as you know animals or bugs or dehumanize them because that's what cults do and we're not a cult we care about people and we need to recognize that these are people who've been hurt and we must we must be decent and we must bring back decency and cherish the decent and on that happy note 
I'm honored to say that we are going to be bringing in Imran Ahmed. I am very, very thrilled. He is the CEO of the Center of Countering Digital Hate. He came into that with a very profoundly important, uh, beautiful personal story, which I do hope he's willing to share with us. We are so, so happy you're here. And again, I apologize. I don't normally work from my boudoir, but we, <laughs> you know what, when in Rome, we're, we're lo-fi productions and this is what, this is what's, what it's come to. Um, but, you know, we all, we all did a lot of uh, homework, but your name just kept coming up um, when we interviewed Kat and Charles from Disinformed. And of course, we've all watched it. Um, and all of your statements are so profound. So we'd love, A, for you to introduce yourself, and then we'd like to watch a clip. And then before we start firing away questions, we'd like you to tell us your personal story. So that's the uh, order of events here. Well, hi. Um, yeah, I'm Imran Ahmed. I'm Chief Executive of the Center for Countering Digital Hate. I'm the founder of the organization as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm I, you know, you can, I, I excuse your boudoir, excuse my basement office uh, in, my, in my house in DC. I've been told, given it's a Sunday, that I've got to do it from the basement. So I'm hiding down here in darkness. Oh, well, this is I, so I, I would think it's nice noir lighting. You've got a very, like, man of mystery thing going on. So you're good. You're good. Well, we're also, we're also combating darkness. So it's all so perfect. Um, Sean, can you run that clip from Disinformed before we, uh, before we really get down here? Certainly. Here we go. We have for too long made the debate over this really narrow. We've talked about the technology and can we get an algorithm that might fix misinformation? We've talked about the, 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 the political philosophy of freedom of speech versus the harm principle and you know it really hasn't gone anywhere but no one's ever made this moral case. And it is a plain straightforward moral case that people whose jobs it is and who profit from causing death, we shouldn't be doing business with them. Wow. Bam. Mike Man, before we even <laughs> comment on that, I just want to say I like how he wears a suit and a tie for Cat and Charles. <laughs> we get the low we get the, we, we get no, the I'm authentic just, i'm just kidding that we we talked about that last week it's so important not only not doing business with them but as jim said last week we we need to see some people go to jail we are dealing with we've, we're dealing with things that are so new and moving so fast that we haven't quite wrapped our head around it but again before we fire away questions i know your time is limited can you please tell our viewers your personal story on how you came into this battle against digital hate because i think it's very um beautiful sad well i mean my personal story and i assume what you're referring to is is my work in the uk in british politics uh, around yeah. 2016 and i worked as a special advisor to a man called hillary ben who was the shadow foreign secretary um, at the time, two things happened simultaneously. First of all, the party I was serving, the Labour Party, was um, was infected with a with a sudden injection of primarily digitally organised um, anti-Semitic rhetoric and conspiracism. The second thing that happened was the the injection of Islamic uh, anti-Muslim hatred and anti-black hate into the 
and and a, and a really uh, sort of creative conspiracism into the debate over the EU referendum. So there was a big debate at the time over whether the British, over the, whether the United Kingdom should leave the European Union. It was won by the Leave vote, 52 to 48, but that referendum was marred by misinformation flowing really, really virulently on the, in digital spaces about conspiracism and hate. And that, that really sort of reached its apotheosis. Uh, you know, almost the, the entire insanity of that episode can be reified into one incident, which is the assassination of my colleague Joe Cox MP by a... A, a white supremacist terrorist who believed that the EU was planning to bring over Muslims to rape 14 year old girls to destroy the white race. And I mean, the, the utter bananas nature of that, of that idea, um, which we had heard, you know, it was the kind of stuff that you saw in digital spaces. We, we kind of, I had personally dismissed it. I thought it was just internet nonsense. And this is 20, 2016. And of course, it turned out to have a price paid in lives, uh, and 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 eventually in the UK taking a momentously momentous political decision, one which was really came from nowhere. And at the same time, we could look over this over the, over the pond to the United States and see things happening here, uh, and thought crumbs, something is changing. So that's why I said at the Centre for Countering Digital Hate was to understand the way in which digital hate and misinformation were being instrumentalized by political actors. And 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 really that they were this was all allowed to happen because of the failure of the primary platforms we use now for transmitting information, for forming our social mores, our values, right. social media. And and we, we believe there shouldn't be separation anymore between digital hate, online hate. We've seen the example you just gave. We keep seeing that in real life. The the QAnon toll, uh, the, the the toll it's taking, the human toll it's taking in real life is something that we continually are witnessing. And I'm very grateful that your organization is doing the work that it's doing. And I know Jim um, has some things that he'd like to ask you. Um, I, I was really, I've been, uh, I mean, I've been impressed with a lot of things, um, uh, several of your reports. Um, but um, um, we were you you've talked a lot about digital spaces and how digital spaces are basically the real world now right for for many people for a lot of people um, I mean it, it used to be that the 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 digital world was just this kind of reflection of your real world that you take pictures of what you actually did and and you know shared it with people now that's where people actually live it's where their brains are it's where where all of their all of their sensory input comes from and so you don't to create a cult or brainwash somebody you don't have to take them into a into some you know compound somewhere and traumatize them you can do it you know online you can do it on twitter or facebook or wherever um and i i, I just wanted i wanted to ask you what what did you what do you think the 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 most efficient way to try and get some rules in place in the in the digital space like we have in the physical space because it's that gap i think that is really represents the the fundamental problem 
Um, so there's a lot there to unpack. And I, I mean, let's yes, start sorry. right at the beginning <laughs> of your statement. And, and this idea that our online worlds are very similar to our offline worlds. And, and they are and they aren't. So they're intermediate, like they're intermediate, they're navigated by the same people. So human beings are the ones who are who are interacting online and offline. And we, we in some respects, can in some respects, can't distinguish between feelings and emotions and especially anger and hate and 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 fear that we feel online versus offline um or you know offline our offline world has evolved to and evolved social institutions evolved consequences for behavior we have a rich array of ways whether it's the criminal law you know at the most extreme end which has the coercive power of the state behind it or it is the, the, the neighborhood gossip who makes sure that certain things don't don't you know that that there is a public cost for private behavior if someone is you know treating their children badly in their home everyone whispers about it outside the school gates and so there's a rich array of way in which we're socialized to to decide how to express ourselves as human beings online there are rules so if you go onto facebook and if you actually bother unlike I and mean, I, I certainly don't when i sign up to these uh, long terms and conditions I, there are rules there community standards and one of them is that you can't be racist you can't spread misinformation about vaccines you can't spread stuff about QAnon, uh, which may lead to violence but of course there are, there are there are two aspects to rules first of all there is is there a corpus of rules are there statutes and of course there are and in fact they're very similar to they're they're, they're completely um reasonable community standards and then the second thing is what are the consequences for breaking the rules now if the consequences should be that action is taken but in reality it isn't taken yeah. you you have a literal sense of impunity in in its most pure sense there is no punishment. Yeah. And so therefore, the, it, what, what happens is you get norms that actually the rules are this, but no one actually cares. These aren't important rules. So it sends literally the worst possible message, which is we recognize that this behavior is, you know, either obnoxious or toxic or dangerous or potentially lethal. But, yeah. eh, you know, I don't care. Do you? And that is the real problem, is that what we've got is the radical mal-socialization of society being decided by the, by the rules and the enforcement decisions taken by a tiny, narrow elite of people in San Francisco who, yeah. them, who themselves, you know, have admitted. It, and, and that's what the, the most recent revelations by Francis Haugen show, that both, both employees and the executives realize the damage is causing well, such a great, so it's, a, it's such a great point. Um, when we were looking at uh, Facebook content moderator cases um, and speaking with one of the content moderators, she was witnessing essentially um, a grooming take, taking place between an individual and an underage girl. Um, and she, uh, the person that was doing the grooming was a convicted uh, sex offender. And she reported it to her manager. Um, the manager replied, that um, first of all, he wasn't convicted because he pled guilty, which is semantic bullshit. Um, not only that, um, she, in order to contact um, police or get the law enforcement involved, that uh, person has to be in imminent danger and there has to be an imminent threat, whatever that means. So she pushed it up, made her manager uh, aware of the situation. And according to the laws of Facebook, 
um, they have 30 days to decide on what to do with the situation, right? Um, does anyone want to guess how long it took the manager to decide? 29 days. 29. 29 days, <laughs> right? The maximum amount of time to keep that individual on the platform because at that time, each a real American user is worth $29 in some sense. Mm, right. The, the, the exact amount of time allotted, right? In case after case. And this poor content moderator had to sit there and watch for a month as this occurred. Anyway. Well, that, and that's a microcosm of a big macro problem. Each exactly. one of us has had real life um, ramifications from the activism that we do. So in my life, I had both an online and an offline setup that had major, major ramifications on my life. I know that Hi-Fi has spoken about the real world ramifications of his investigation into the transnational mob before, but you know, behind the um, Kyle Rittenhouse fundraiser. And of course, Jim is, I look at Jim like a war veteran for the type of work that he does, you know, ensuring that he focuses and brings us the news every day on what is happening in radicalization. And you did an amazing job in Disinformed at, at explaining who's doing it, how it wasn't even that many people. And that was one of your really eye-opening reports. And I like that you and your reports are using the actual wording that these folks are saying to present it. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, anything that you can say basically on your reports and how you approach it and what you would really like to see take shape because we're just, you know, four people who've actually been really wounded by this type of activism and we are in a war for truth and any knowledge that you can drop on that is very meaningful. Well, I know, I mean, first of all, thank you for the work that you do. And I'm sorry to hear that it's had those ramifications. Um, those ramifications in terms of the personal attacks are because you do good work. Like that's the first thing to remember. And it's really difficult for our minds to realize this, that when someone's saying, I hate you, you're disgusting, you're a piece of crap, and I want to kill you, they're not doing it because you're a bad person. They're doing it literally because the work that you do is important. And that's the reason why I give a lot of advice to organizations, to other nonprofits. I do. I give advice to scientists working on COVID, on the vaccines. And we've done that for the last year and a half. I, we do it pro bono for the main part. And, so, and, and help them understand that this is happening because you're good. It's happening because you're doing something valuable and they want to stop you from doing it. So they seek to terrorize you. Um, so I'm sorry that you face it. But, you know, take it in one respect as a measure of the impact of the work that you do. Um, the, 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 the sort of that, that particular subtype of malignancy that's being produced by social media. So, and, and by the, by the, by the tolerance of the intolerable by these companies, you've got disinformation, which the drip drip of lies, which, which seeks to recolor the lens through which we see the world such that we believe that things are not the way that they, that they in fact are. Um, whether it is the organization of hate groups, and we've done work on groups as diverse as neo-Nazi terrorist groups to, uh, to um, Islamic State, um, whether it's, um, it's um, or, or the discourse shaping, so the way that trolling is used to, to, shape, to shape what people feel they can say, and so to therefore shape discourse in favor of bad actors. 
I mean, these are all things that happen because of the of the tolerate the toleration of the intolerable, despite their own rules by those platforms. And I, I think it comes down more fundamentally to one thing that the truth is that these companies would take different decisions if it was in their interest to do so. I mean, no, you know, company, I, 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 I always think of, of uh, private companies as essentially amoral. They, they exist to produce wealth and they will do that within whatever regulatory framework you put around them. Um, I started my career 22 years ago at Merrill Lynch, you know, and uh, during the dot-com crisis. And I, I saw a company that was behaving in an intolerable way. But it was allowed to because Glass-Steagall had been repealed and, and those Chinese walls had broken down. Um, we, see the same, we see the same now. These companies are operating to the rules that are set. But here's the key. Section 230. So under US law, the current regulations for social media company are something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act 1996. Section 230 says that internet platforms are the only type of business anywhere that have zero liability for how their product is used by third parties. And that is bananas. So that essentially they have no liability for the content posted by third parties on their websites. And that has essentially absolved them of any potential litigation or criminal action I mean, j just the anti-vax propaganda, for example, which I mean, I speak to people from national security and homeland security all the time. And I, I, I always say that more people will die because of COVID and vaccine disinformation than of all Islamic State and AQ and Al-Qaeda attacks put together all, or, uh, in, in the world. And yet we, we still have, have such few tools available, uh, available to us to, to deal with it. The reason is Section 230 of an act passed in 1996. It's taken 25 years for Congress to legislate. And I was giving evidence at the House Energy and Commerce Committee uh, a few days, a couple of weeks ago, um, on new legislation that's being brought forward. And I couldn't help but make the spiky point. Well, you know, it's been 25 years, so thanks yeah. for finally getting around to it. Um, because that's that when you have when you have no consequences for a failure to act, when when essentially it's cheaper to let the world burn, you let the world burn because actually that's in your shareholders' interests. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, there's another there's another um, thing about it that that I have seen, which is the sociopathy, right? Um, that that you see coming out um, with a lot of these companies. Um, you know, to some extent, capitalism sorts for sociopaths, right? Because if, if you don't care about human beings, <laughs> you have a lot more options available to you, right? <laughs> and yeah. and it's the same is true of politicians, right? Um, like Donald Trump did not, could not care at all about a single other person except himself. And so he he had zero shame or any or compunction right. and so so i feel like there's a there's a, a psychological cycle that needs to be broken here where the more cruel and inhumane you are the better you do in in the world that yeah, there's like the, um, wrong, the wrong formulation uh, a person i've worked with for oh, a few years now uh, Melina Lukowski was a whistleblower against Johnson and Johnson and uh, Jensen's. Um, she 
through her process. She was actually the first whistleblower to be allowed to live blog her trial. Um, anyway, through that process, she developed what she calls the sociopathic business model. Mm. Um, and in that time, the uh, FBI, the DOJ that was working with her, ended up using her model, the sociopathic business model, uh, on the WeWork case and um, I believe two other cases. Um, so her model, her methodology, essentially, Jim, is what you're talking about. It's basically recognizing certain trends and patterns of a company, a corporation, as it hits so many, you know, um, uh, complaints about sexual misconduct or so many complaints, so many ethics. And she's got the formula worked out that you can, with a certain um, percentage of certainty, predict that the company will engage in fraudulent behavior at this given time. So it's very, very interesting. Anyway, um, her website's, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, gosh, she's going to get so mad at me. Anyway, Melina Lukoski, uh, sociopathic business. Oh, her website's killingmycareer.com. Oh, I, I have a question for Imran. Um, you know, you're talking about pr proposed legislation and uh, you know, how how closely is the American government looking at the draft online safety bill that just came out in the UK? Are, are you seeing a lot of similarities between the areas that need to be addressed? And um, well, let's go with that question. Then I got another one for you. Go ahead. Well, I, mean, so, I, mean, I was the first witness to give evidence to the Online Safety Bill uh, Committee uh, three months ago in, in London, and it's chaired by a member of the board of CCDH, Damien Collins MP. Yeah. So we're, we're really aware of it, and we've been working on that. I, you know, I, I'm working with both the government and, and any other politician, the opposition as well, to try and make that bill as strong as possible. But it is it is uniquely British in that, and it wouldn't it wouldn't some of the provisions in there wouldn't necessarily be First Amendment compliant. Um, so I mean, I think that there could be constitutional challenges to something like the OSB because essentially it creates a regulator that has the right to decide um, that certain classifications of harm require content to be to be removed. And I mean, our argument has always been at the, at the centre that. Um, actually, and I think, you know, you, you talked about it with our research, that part of the, what I think is really strong about research is that there is an element of it that's really simple. It's just show and tell. We're just very good at finding the bad stuff that's going on, showing, for example, algorithms that radicalize people. But then we just take screenshots and we show people and it makes it really difficult to argue back against it. What's Facebook going to say? You know, it's not a real screenshot. What well, it is. And... We, we put ourselves at the, you know, we put ourselves at risk of litigation all the time by show by by putting reports out that are so, as visible as ours. I mean, if President Biden is citing our reports, yes, you can damn well bet that we're going to get um, sued crazy if we've made mistakes in them that are accusing people of things. Um, but we haven't. We've never had litigation brought against the Centre for Countering Digital Hate in the six years that we've been operating. Not once for any one of our reports because they are very, very simple and, and also very, very factual as well um and i think the, the 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 key when it comes to the us is that what the us can do right now is help to build the transparency so that organizations like ccdh aren't necessary so i mean my dream one day is to be able to retire to antigua with my wife some you know some kids in tow and a, and a couple of dogs and cats and just forget about this yeah. that's, i mean that's what i want i, I want to be redundant and I think we will be redundant yeah. when there is full transparency of these platforms so, that, so we can understand and we can independently test 
the whether or not there are there is radicalization occurring algorithmically whether or not the enforcement decisions being taken for content moderation are fair and uh, fair and right whether or not the economics that underpin these platforms 98% of facebook's revenues come from advertising how does that shape their decisions on what content to amplify and what not to amplify and until we can see that throughput we can see how the commercial model drives um, their decisions on their editorial decisions on which content to promote and which content to not promote as much and my argument would be that's why they, they promote conspiracism because it's sticky it keeps people on platform it makes us all argue with each other and so therefore it generates the eyeballs the attention that drives their ads revenue that's my fundamental contention with how these companies operate and if that is true, we need to have better oversight of how that happens. I think transparency on its own, and there's a lot in the bill, in the online safety bill in the UK that's about transparency, and in the Digital Services Act in the EU as well. Um, and there are other countries seeking to legislate around the world right now because, you know, January the 6th and COVID have really taught a lesson. I, I never get asked the question, isn't this just online? I used to get asked that all the time by journalists, but isn't this just like online stuff? And no one asks that question anymore. Not after January the sixth. Absolutely not. I the trolls have come to the real world. I, I've got two quick things because I know we only have you for a few more minutes, and I don't I don't want to lose the opportunity to pick your brain on this. We have billionaires gaming the system, and that's a phrase that you have reiterated. You also talk about algorithms. Are those two somehow connected or can you just speak to that a little bit? Well, Malgorithm was a report that we put out in uh, earlier this year, at the start of this year, which was studying a, a change that happened in September 2020 to Instagram that gave us an unprecedented insight into how the algorithm works. So in September 2020, Instagram, which is now owned by Facebook, it decided to Facebookize the way that their system works. So instead of what it used to be, if you got to the end of the people that you were following, it would say, well, then you've caught up with all the posts and it wouldn't recommend you anything else. It would just stop there. Facebook realized that it, that, that, that that was limiting their ability to keep people on platforms. And they thought, well, let's recommend posts to them so that we can actually start keeping them scrolling a little bit longer. Because if you can get all the users to scroll for another 20 seconds, that's a lot of advertising revenue. And so what they did was they started recommending posts that they thought were would be would be likely to keep people on platform. And it gave us a huge insight into the way that Facebook decide what they want us to see. So we set up a bunch of test accounts and then we, we actually tracked the algorithm, the, the recommendations. And what we found was that if you were following things like wellness, the algorithm would actively feed you anti-vax content and misinformation and conspiracy yeah. theories. If you followed anti-vax, it would feed you QAnon and it would feed you anti-Semitism. If you were following anti-Semites, it would feed you COVID conspiracism and anti-vax conspiracism. So what it was doing was, was deepening and broadening people's extremisms and conspiracies. Now that tracks a psychological insight that, you know, Conspira belief in conspiracy th theories is driven by epistemic anxiety, um, which is sort of an anxiety, it's sort of a desperate yearning for certainty, in fact, in, in an absence of, 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 of certainty. And the problem is that a leap of faith, a conspiracy theory, which is always based on a, on a lie, it's not based, it's based on a leap of faith, it's not based on a fact, a conspiracy theory, that's the whole point, it's a conspiracy theory. 
um, that that can never sate that desperate yearning for certainty, that leap of faith. And so people look for more and more. Now, we call that rabbit holing. But the, the algorithm had through trillions of clicks calculated that that actually is the way that people work. And so therefore, that's the best way to keep them addicted. And we saw through that the way that Facebook creates algorithmic recommendations to drive people to more and more extreme contents. Now, that fundamental insight into the way that Facebook's machine learning algorithm work has been exploited by political actors all around the world. It's not about the, the right. It's not about the left. It's not. It's about who's willing to exploit it. In the UK, it has been primarily, it's been both, it's been bipartisan usage. In the US, it's been most notably used by Trump to create these sort of, these nexuses of different internet conspiracies who are only bound together in the, in the, in the sort of the naked algorithmic logic of platforms that that bring these people together. So they're literally deepening, they're converging all these different extremisms into one. Um, so I, I, I think that that, that Malgorithm is probably the most important study we've ever done. And what was so great about it is that at the time, Facebook themselves, you know, they said we were lying. They said that this was nonsense mm -hmm. and it was a false narrative. Mm -hmm. Of course, Francis Haugen then brought forward studies which showed that we were absolutely on the money. Yes, that must have felt good. Gentlemen, can you guys each ask one more question? Um, we've only got them for a few more minutes. I have one last thing, but you guys go first. Jim, you want to go? Okay, I'm going to go. Okay, so uh, one of the things I've noticed uh, amongst all of the social media interactions and everything like that is uh, our, our phrase of the week is surveillance capitalism. And if you look at, you know, Palantir taught Cambridge Analytica how to scrape data from Facebook, that data was weaponized. Uh, you know, it was acknowledged that it was weaponized to keep black voters from voting for Hillary Clinton. Uh, do you feel uh, that America could probably benefit from something like the GDPR or, you know, we have the California Privacy Act? Do you feel that a federal law concerning data is important to the United States? And also, I like to go a little bit farther and say that we really need to have treaties between countries. You know, data to me is as deadly as nuclear weapons. And I think we've shown that it can be weaponized. How, how far do we need to go? You tell me. Well, look, I, mean, I think the, the GDPR, funnily enough, there is, I think there's bipartisan consensus that we need a privacy, that we need new privacy rules uh, in place. And the House, which, um, you know, the, the Energy and Commerce Committee that I gave evidence to just last week was one of the things the Republicans repeatedly said was that that's the one area of absolute, well, the two areas of agreements are privacy and children and the harms being done to kids on those platforms. So I think that we have, we're in good standing for, some sort of privacy extension in the US and the California model might well be the one that ends up being taken up a, 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 a federally at the US at, at, the, uh, at the national level. Um, but there is another point, which is that most people don't actually understand that, that so why is privacy important? Because your private data is being used fundamentally to help advertisers. And one of the things that we don't realize is that every time you see an advert on any social media platform, you have no idea just how much data they have used of yours. They've captured of, of yours to, to decide to show you that advert. 
And, you know, one of the arguments I made was if you could click on any online ad and it was it had to tell you what data they used to, 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 to serve you that ad. Most people would never, ever, ever allow their privacy settings to be set so loosely again. Um, and so creating massive, you know, that's a tiny tool that a right to know what data was used to target you and what terms were used to target you as well and what data of yours was passed on to the advertiser would fundamentally change the game when it came to consumer awareness of how our privacy has been used. Because most of us be horrified at the, the creepiness of how these yeah. platforms track us, because it is fundamentally creepy as heck, isn't it? Some weirdo. Stalkerware. So, yeah, no, but seriously, Zuckerberg is like the ultimate. Oh, no. He's just sitting there going, oh, what are you clicking on now? Oh, I'll take a note of that. And it's just a bit, <laughs> just a bit weird. Um, so I think yeah. a lot of people would just think, oh, that's just disgusting. Like, what are you actually doing with that data, you weirdo? Yeah. Why do you want to know everything that I care about? Because it's, yeah, but of course, an enormous amount of data is being captured constantly. So yeah, I think privacy is really at the, the, the way in which data is being used and captured without our knowledge because of these enormous terms and conditions that none of us have ever read and ever will read. I that's think right. that's where we find potentially one of the major, one of the major subsections of the overall answer to what do we do about a problem like Facebook. Um, so uh, speaking of, um, you know, disinformation sewers, um, uh, Telegram, um, I've I have watched um, explode uh, since January sixth when Twitter you know basically got rid of QAnon you know they did a fairly thorough job of it all thing you know all things considered um, and to me Telegram is currently just the kind of epicenter of this you know traumatic dangerous propaganda that's brainwashing people all day long. Um, have you done any kind of quantitative look at, you know, this, what, what just observably I see as a massive migration to this platform, by the way, that's run by a Russian in UAE, <laughs> you know? Well, one of the interesting things about Telegram is that quite often when the, when people are being, know that they're at risk of being deplatformed from the major platforms, they will talk about Telegram as their lifeboat strategy. And I think it really, I think that is absolutely the right way to see it, that, that it is about a lifeboat to get them to some sort of safety, even if that happens to be a desert island from which they can do no more harm to the general populace. And I think that that's the point, is that in one respect, like platforms, mini platforms like Telegram, Parler, Gab, etc., they are becoming the, they're becoming these tiny fiefdoms for for, for, for the lunatic fringe. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because it makes it very difficult for them to infect the general populace with nonsense and, and destroy our discourse and turn our discourse into the mess that it's been for the last five or six or seven years of, you know, of misinformation vitiating our ability to just have a clear conversation because every time we want to say something, there's someone screaming, you know, the paedophile lizards are, 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 are totally. us, and you're like, oh, for, I just want to have a discussion for God's sake. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the downside, the downside that I see is, is that, you know, brainwashing cults in general require insulation, right? They require a, an insulated environment. 
and and telegram just has no rules whatsoever um and and there's hundreds of millions of people on there just consuming this garbage all day long and you know we've they you can get it in the apple store you can get it on the android store it's you know yeah. and and to me it's th talking about harm right there i just watch just people's brains and their morals and their ethics and their memories get ground down and you know removed anyway it, it just feels like a very bad uh situation that needs to be resolved you're raising a really important point and you're right that actually what the, the the mobilization threat and the height and and the ex most extreme like completely dis un unrooted from normal social so social acceptable behavior including violent extremism etc is happening on those platforms is not happening on mainstream platforms as much anymore I and mean, it still is I mean, honestly it still is on facebook and twitter and instagram every day but when they're forced to, to migrate to those platforms and lifeboat over they do tend to get more extreme and that is definitely a concern to security people in particular so if you speak to people like gif ct who the global internet forum for counterterrorism like they they look at those environments and think crumbs those are really serious for us but um but it, it does limit their ability to cause chaos in the general population as well. So, you know, it's kind of, it, there's, there's pros and there's cons. I mean, the, the truth is that we'd like all platforms to be moderated with decency and with, with, with intelligence and to a, to a, to a decent basic core framework of community standards. Um, and for people to have a choice to be able to leave those platforms if they feel that they're not. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying there, and I, I acknowledge the, the, the seriousness of the problem. And thankfully, there are, I mean, CCDH has done some work, but there are others as well who are doing some really important work in the counterterrorism and violent extremism end of that. So we have kept you way too long, and I'm so grateful. I do want to just end. We usually end with something beautiful. And you said that the greatest gift you can give anybody right now is good information. And can you give us one line on that? just so we can go off into our holiday festivus with something, um, you know, positive. So, I mean, let me just explain the mathematics behind this, that very often platforms are trying to, they, what they will do is amplify the most contentious information. Now, the reason mm -hmm. they're amplifying the most contentious information is because we are telling it it's contentious by engaging with it. We love engaging with misinformation, talking about it, quote, tweeting it, telling people to point at it and say, this is terrible. And so we always say, don't give the algorithmic advantage to misinformation. If you see misinformation or hate, ignore it, block the person sending it, which actually reduces their algorithmic weight, yes, and does. then go and find some good information, some love, some, some official information on COVID that can help people take good decisions and share that, interact with that instead. Because that way you rebalance the world so that we've got more interactions and more algorithmic amplification of good information rather than bad information. And that ultimately is part of how each one of us through our daily interactions on social media can help to socialize social media. Oh boy, are we going to cut that up and promote the hell out of yeah. that. Yeah. Wow, you're that is so great. Kids and puppies for everybody. Yeah. Well, there's just so many people who continually show, oh, look what this, you know, look at, look what she said, what he said, Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, whatever. And then obviously they're doing the bidding of these people. We have not solved the parroting problem. 
but um, by, by what you just suggested, that is the policy that I try to abide by, and we are going to amplify the hell out of that. Oh, and my I, God, I, thank you so I, much for your incredible work. And, Heidi, hold um, on. I have to, I have to ask one more question. I apologize. Oh, no, he's got to go. <laughs> uh, I know, but um, real quick. So I got into this by reading discovery documents and from cases, mass torts. Uh, do you guys do or have you done any um, investigations or research onto the similar techniques that are employed by corporations at large, say publicist group, uh, digital marketing community? If you haven't, would you be interested in reviewing some of those documents? We'd love to review those documents with you and, and share some of what we found as well. And so court documents are one of my favorite little tools for finding the truth behind, you know, behind the nonsense that's spouted in in public that actually yes, in court, especially when there's a tort involved, people are very exactly. willing to tell you the truth. That's right. I'll follow up with you then. Um, once great. We, once Thank we you very much. Is there a last line you want to leave our viewers with a last thought, which you gave us already was quite beautiful, Just but have, have lovely, happy holidays. And yeah, you know, I mean, let's not forget this is that, that despite the fact that the surface veneer of society uh, given to us by social media is so negative, still people are fantastic look at what we've all done for each other in the time of covid how much we've protected each other as societies yeah. how scientists how physicians how government officials even president trump by investing into the vaccine program everyone actually did good things and these are moments it's christmas and and the holidays and hanukkah and kwanzaa are good times to remember for the main part we're all good eggs so have a lovely holiday everyone Thank you so very much for that, Imran. We're so grateful that you took the time to be with us today, and we will take Thanks great so care of this content. Thank you. Yeah, much respect. Thank Take you. Care. Bye. I, I think I would prefer Imran as the person of the year. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I would yeah. prefer that. Wow, you guys. Man. What an Such important interview. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm trying to cut off my questions. Yeah, just, <laughs> I just, just I, I want to go thrilled. have a pint with Imran and eat some fish and chips and just like hang out with that guy. I mean, yeah. he's a smart dude. He gets it. He understands it. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I I so appreciate what he said about the fact that those of us who've been caused pain from this work, it's because it's good work, and that that tugged at my heart because I just I don't stop. It's like I, you know, and and Jim, you don't stop, and Josh, you're not stopping, and Sean, you're signed up for this, and we're all just gonna go. So FTW, here we come, you know. Well, not not done. Tweet Actually, through. I'm trying to unfuck the world, as are you guys. So that'll be my Looks. Christmas message. Yeah. Or I just tweet <laughs> through it. That's my solution to everything. <laughs> yeah. the, yes. the, the, wind, the wind blows hardest at the top of the tree, right? Oh, that's beautiful. Dear Santa, yeah. all I want for Christmas are indictments. <laughs> perp walks, Santa, perp walks. Actually, you know there what? Aren't I'm even gonna any stay investigations. In there are not going to be any indictments. Sorry. Well, Stop but I will it. stay in gratitude because we've built this show and we built it with nothing but heart and uh, and on, on the back of Sean's talents here and all of your talents, really. So we've done something. So that's good, you know? Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're on that cheery yeah. note, we have we're gonna do exactly what Imran told us not to. 
and we are going to highlight the real wor words of a Class A propagandist in Sean's digital descent. Uh, Sean, you want to uh, break it down real fast? You want me to try to come up with a one-liner to frame this? Well, I think Imran would be fine with this. But mm, yeah, you'd be fine. So this is um, good. Satire is this, good. This is um, the world's first introduction, or when this was video was released, it was the first introduction to the character named Todd Callender, who yeah. um, <clears throat> who is an, a lawyer, quote unquote, who lives in the Bahamas, um, whose family uh, has a, a vaccine um, technology company named PharmaJet. And he is, he is avidly, he is avidly anti-vax. Yes. So much so that he was the attorney for the American Frontline Doctors, who basically created <laughs> he created the um, plug-and-play, the ad-libs version of the criminal complaint against, you know, um, the CDC, against everyone, Medicare, Medicare. He was also the attorney that tried to form a class for the entire military. He tried to sue the entire military, every branch, and, and make every every enlisted individual a part of the class. Todd Callender, he's he also in the And he has something in common with Stalin. He introduced the concept of the Nuremberg Code as, um, you know, um, something uh, as an argument to use against people that were promoting vaccines. Um Anyway, so this is the mythology of how anti-vax um, conspiracy ideas get formed. So this was from a, um, a summer, what was it, the the White Coat was, Summit reunion. Yeah. So this was, the press was not able to come to this event, neither it wasn't publicized. It was San Antonio, Texas, and this was a closed-door um, lecture that he gave, and here's him in in animated form. You're going to make me puke. Go ahead. Here we go. Digital descent. They used the experimental gene therapy shots, in addition, for the delivery of nanoparticles, lipid nanoparticles. What is that? You can imagine these are atomic-sized delivery devices, and they carry around, I guess it's called proteins, viruses, whatever it is, antigens, designed to make your body react in a certain way. They use nanoparticles to genetically modify, track, record, provide signals, intelligence, programming, and complete control over humanity. In completion of the crime, the criminal enterprise is to tag, track, code, huh? rate, measure, restrict, manipulate, dominate of every person and their rights on this planet. That dude just failed so many biology classes. Oh my god! Todd Calendar. Um, it's so, like it's that's so. I'm sorry. 
for people who weren't clear, that was really his voice at a at a white coat summit for America's frontline doctors who are financed, as we know, by the CNP. Sean did a major investigation into this guy. He found out that his shell companies uh, have the same uh, address as the most elite area of Moscow, where Stalin used to live. And yet here he is in San Antonio, Texas, really using those words to plant those lethal disinformation bombs. And what was totally terrible about that particular summit was that there were so many children in that audience. We, we found pictures later that showed the number of kids who were at this event. Um, and so this is how they radicalize people starting young. So, you know, satire is, is, is wonderful as a release, but keep an eye on this guy. What was even more bizarre is that his family, his mother and his sister, right? They're the president and the CFO of a vaccine technology company. So they make um, needless injections for vaccines. They have a huge contract yeah. with, with the WHO. They have a huge contract with the CDC. And um, what, the, what the fuck? Did, 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 <laughs> has his family come out and at least said, yeah, he's fucking nuts? No. No, we tried to we tried no. to get them on the record, and they they would not respond, reply. No. So. Yeah. They would not reply. Nope. Nice. We do know though. Every time we find one of these characters, what do we always find? A massive grift, and there might be a yep. two or three uh, in this particular uh, sphere here in Calendarland. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, guys, I apologize for my shitty audio and shitty video today. We still got the show. Uh, up and running and we had an incredible guest and uh, an incredible digital descent and I um, think Jim froze uh, all I know is that Sean is wearing a tie which I didn't remark on because I was so distraught at not being able to get online but I must say that is a mighty fine tie and I really let's like let's not sleep let's not sleep on the or on the or sweater <laughs> What the floor sweater about? Like it's, I mean, it's awesome. Well, it's but I've never seen a sweater with oars on it. <laughs> oh, you Sean. know, the, the one time I dressed, I mean, all I got is yeah. this master shake over here. So. Nice little, I was supposed to wear my my Christmas, but I just found this old man sweater. That's all I had. <laughs> oh, you guys! I am really thrilled that we uh, made it through the end of the year with another incredibly informative episode and again thank you guys so much for all you do both on the show and in your real lives hi-fi i'm so happy to hear that your son is on the mend and i'm glad that we got that dig in the uh you know red state anti-science uh governors because they really need their comeuppance and perhaps perhaps we still will win i don't ever want to discount america you know She's got some moxie, so we'll see what we're made of. But uh, we're going to do our part, that's for sure. Oh, we're going to win. Fuck that. What do you mean? Yes. It's just about how. Okay. All right, guys. Yeah, question is how. Okay. Right. Final Christmas okay. wishes. Merry Christmas. Final Christmas wishes that you guys stay well and safe. We stay in this fight, that our children are protected. Uh, and if I really could wave a magic wand and have a beautiful Christmas wish, it would be that all the people we'd lost would miraculously come back 
and embrace reality because that would be very beautiful. On that note, Christmas Christians bring Jesus Christ back to Christmas instead of whatever the hell they're pulling, they're trying to pull on you. See you guys. Q is not Santa or God. That's right. And we are out.